BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. A lot to talk about today. We're monitoring the Senate to see if a debate is going to happen or begin or whatever, you know, around the civil rights legislation that is before us. And uh, whether Manchin and Sinema are going to continue hanging out with the Republicans to suppress the, the right of uh, principally people of color to vote, but, uh, you know, the Republicans are also targeting college students and, and people over 65. Uh, all of these groups, you know, people who have, uh, you know, college students are concerned about student debt. People over 65 are concerned about Medicare. The Republicans are working to prevent any fix on student debt, and they've already privatized half of Medicare. So anyhow, we, we will keep up on that. If anything happens of consequence, I'll, you know, we will pipe it right into the show, let's say. And Dino Badala is going to drop by, my colleague on SiriusXM. Biden is shedding the support of his base, and that could be a bad thing with the election coming up this year. We're going to discuss that. But right-wingers on the Supreme Court might not like this mandate, but there are others they like a lot. I'll get to that. And also, kind of a geeky science, why did 25 million years ago, why did cats go missing on the North American continent for about 6 million years? They just vanished. It's a weird story. I'll tell you all about that. But uh, to start out our program, on the line with us is uh, Michael Waldman. He, Waldman. he is the president of the Brennan Center for Justice at the New York University School of Law. One of, one of in my mind, just one of the great organizations or institutions out there doing Extraordinary work. A former director of speech writing for President Bill Clinton from 95 to 99, author of six books, including his uh, most recent and uh, just updated, newly updated, uh, The Right to Vote uh, by Michael Waldman, also the author of the Second Amendment. Michael, welcome to the program. Uh, welcome back to the program. It's been, it's been a while. BrennanCenter.org, by the way, I should say, is the website and the Twitter handle is M.A. Waldman. You wrote an absolutely brilliant piece this morning titled, Why Opponents of Voting Reforms Are Wrong. I, I'd like to just, if it's all right with you, just go through these arguments that are being made and, and get your rebuttal. The first being that uh, the argument that uh, Kirsten Sinema made on the floor of the Senate last, I think it was Thursday, uh, where she said that election reform has to be done on a bipartisan basis. What say you, sir? Well, uh, you know, bipartisanship is good, is nice. But if you look at the whole history of the country, as, as this book, The Fight to Vote, does, it turns out that most of the time, 
protections for voting and expansions of voting rights are done by one party over the objection of another. Uh, you know, when it comes to voting rights, they don't kind of hug it out, they duke it out. Uh, and that's most famously true, I think, when we note that the 15th Amendment to the Constitution, which was the amendment that protected the right to vote for black men, was passed on a party-line vote. But it was far from the only one. So uh, it, it's not an excuse, I don't think, to say, well, we'll only do protections for voting rights on a bipartisan basis, especially when, as you know, and as your listeners know, in states across the country, uh, right now, Republican legislatures are ramming through restrictions on voting entirely on a party line basis. Yeah, and 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 with majority votes. <laughs> By the way, with, there are no filibusters in well, the states. Well, they don't have a filibuster in these states. That's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, the the other argument, or another argument that is made, and and uh, I, I went on an extended rant a few months ago about uh, voting in Texas, and uh, this woman called who was very very eloquent. Uh, I, I, probably a, a prof you know maybe a, a politician or a think tank person. I'm not sure. Um, uh, kind of presented herself as an average caller, but had all these facts and figures about how easy it is to vote in Texas and how there is no voter suppression in Texas and, and uh, these laws don't actually suppress anybody's vote and anybody with half a brain and an ounce of uh, wisdom can figure out how to get around them and, and uh, you know, what are you all so worried about? Um, so there's no need to undo these changes in voting laws because, yeah, they're just tightening things up around the edges, but they're not actually preventing anybody from voting. You know, uh, Judge Richard Posner, a very famous conservative judge, who actually wrote the opinion in 1986 that kind of began to uphold the modern voting restrictions, had a real change of heart. He came to see these things as voter suppression, and he said, you know, all these people are spending all this effort to pass these laws thinking they will restrict the vote. And all these other people are pe spending all this effort uh, trying to stop them. Maybe they're onto something. It's just an argument that doesn't, doesn't hold water. We see that the state legislatures right now are being driven by the big lie, by Trump's claim, false claim, that the election was stolen and that we have to make it harder for people to vote because of all the theft of elections. Um, you know, one thing that people don't really focus on, I think, and even uh, it, there's just a lot, of, a lot of people who miss this point, a lot of the worst laws up until now have been blocked by the courts or softened by the courts. Take Texas. You might remember in 2013, uh, Texas implemented a really harsh voter ID law. That was the one that said that you could not use your University of Texas student ID to vote, but you could use your concealed carry gun permit. You know, hmm, I wonder how they came up with that. Right. Well, instantly, as soon as that was implemented, according to a federal court, 608,000 registered voters didn't, suddenly didn't have the paperwork, suddenly weren't eligible to vote. These are not, you know, maybe they'll vote someday. These are existing registered voters. Well, what happened was my organization, the Brennan Center, and Latino groups and others sued, and the courts actually changed that law. Well, what happened more recently? This past year, the Supreme Court once again gutted the Voting Rights Act and took away the protections from the courts uh, for voters for so many of these for some of these matters. It is open season right now. 
And that's why it is so important that there be federal legislation, because the courts are not going to protect voters. And it's only going to get worse from here. Are you talking about the case where they upheld uh, Ohio's right to basically do caging to purge people from the voting rolls? Unfortunately, as the the federal courts and especially the U.S. Supreme Court have become dominated by um, extreme right-wingers, and I'm talking about the Supreme Court where there is now a six- vote supermajority um, of conservatives, they are offering less and less protection for voting rights. Sometimes you see state courts doing it, but we cannot look to the Supreme Court, I fear, uh, in the end for protection on this. Yeah. What do you say to those who suggest that gerrymandering is not that big a deal, that it's been going on ever since Elbridge Jerry, who was, you know, one of the one of the signers of, I believe, the Constitution, um, uh, you know, going back a long, long way in any case, that, you know, what are you also so upset about here with this gerrymandering stuff? Well, it's interesting. Elbridge Jerry actually refused to sign the Constitution, but he was there. Uh-huh. Um, Thank you. So, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, look, it is absolutely true that gerrymandering was not invented last week. Um, it's gone back to the beginning of the country. In fact, in the very first congressional election, um, Patrick Henry drew a congressional district to try to keep James Madison from being elected. So this does go back a long way. And it's also true both parties do it when they can. What's different now is... First of all, uh, computers have made it all a lot more sophisticated. Ten years ago, uh, the Republicans in a lot of states really egregiously gerrymandered. And what we're seeing this time as the maps are being drawn um, all around the country in response you know, to the every 10 years census, in parts of the country, uh, it's not as bad as in previous years, either because there's been redistricting reform like commissions uh, or even just because the Republicans control, say, the legislature and the Democrats control the governorship, like in a place like Pennsylvania. But in a lot of the country, especially in the South and Southwest, you've got that's where the population growth is. It's almost entirely communities of color, especially Latinos and Asians. And the legislatures and the governments are entirely controlled by Republicans. And they are gerrymandering to the hilt to keep these voters of color from being represented fully. That's why the Justice Department, that's why civil rights groups have been suing on these maps. Again, sometimes there's a chance to overturn them in state courts, sometimes even in federal courts, but it looks like it's going to be pretty imbalanced. And, uh, you know, you hear Democrats, one of the recent um, thoughts is there have been some articles from a Democratic Party partisan perspective saying, hey, you know, we're doing okay in this. Let's not worry about it so much. Um, Well, first of all, that doesn't speak to the representation of voters of color, but it's also the case that the way these maps are drawn, um, you know, if it was basically a tie like it was in 2020 in the legislative elections, it wouldn't necessarily change the maps that much. But if it's a good year for the Republicans, as it very well might, a lot of seats are going to tip into their laps. Yeah, and it's going to get worse. I have been warning people I know in Congress that, in my opinion, the the Republicans and and a few turncoat Democrats are going to try and do the same thing to voting rights that they did to Build Back Better. 
they're going to peel off some little largely irrelevant part or or one that may you know that they don't really care about in this case fixing the electoral count of 1878 1887 i guess it is and present that as their solution to voting rights hey we we, we solved the problem we've trump proofed yep. the, the presidency so you don't need the john lewis act and you don't need the freedom of to vote act because we did it and i was i was uh, saying to these people who who are you know elected members of congress Please tie these things together. You know, amend, when you send the single piece of legislation back to the Senate, amend it with the fix for the Electoral Count Act so they can't peel that off. What's the status of all this right now? So you're exactly right. Look, the Electoral Count Act uh, is a distraction. It's, It's a good thing. It would apply to precisely one election every four years, the presidential election, and only after the votes have been counted and only after maybe the elections have been rigged. But it applies to when it gets to Congress. And as I like to say, it it makes sure that Mike Pence won't try to steal the next presidential election for Donald Trump. It's worth doing, but it is no way a substitute for the urgent, urgent basic need to protect voting rights for millions of people, to restore the Voting Rights Act, to set national standards on things like vote by mail, to protect election officials, which the Freedom to Vote Act does. The election, they should, if anything, add it into the main bill, but it's no substitute. Yeah, I'm completely with you. Michael Waldman, brilliant. Uh, The new book, The Fight to Vote. And, uh, of course, uh, he's the president of the Brennan Center for Justice at the New York uh, University School of Law, uh, BrennanCenter.org. Michael, thank you so much for dropping by. Thank you. Great talking with you. Chanel in Marietta, Georgia. Hey, Chanel, what's on your mind? Mm Hi, Tom. It's good to talk to you today. Thank you. I was listening to you earlier, and you were talking about, I guess, dealing with mansion and cinema and we're talking about pretty much shaming them into doing the right thing based on their records mm-hmm. <laughs> and i don't think that that's going to work with them per se i mean it could possibly be but i think for we're trying to shame politicians into doing things where i don't really think that's going to work with mansion and cinema they don't necessarily travel around the same with regular people, they're always going to be. There's always going to be a buffer with them with regular people. Right. And I just say this because I think we what we need to do is look at human nature and see what can persuade them to do what we want them to do. Sometimes we have to utilize human behavior to get the results that we need. We can't necessarily. We're we're looking at these people to think that they're like the rest of us who, you know, we would not do the things that they're doing. Uh, We would go ahead and say, oh, you know, I see somebody hurting. I want to help them. They're not motivated by that. So we have to work with what motivates people sometimes to get the results that we need. So what do you think it'll work, Chanel, with uh, Mansion and Cinema? Um, I'd say that we need to look at and see. I mean, it seems that maybe for Cinema, it's... Part of it may be money, but it seems that she likes to have things focused on her. Maybe if we played to her vanity, maybe, or played to her ego, maybe we could get more out of her. Because I don't think that shaming do her that? is going to necessarily... I don't know if maybe there's special projects we could attach her to or her name to. Well, this is what LBJ um, used to do, Chanel, and this is what I've been, I've been yelling now for a year, that Chuck Schumer right. and Joe Manchin 
or Joe, <laughs> Joe Biden, I have been <laughs> repeatedly saying they need to do what LBJ would do, which was he would go to these people and he'd say, what do you want? You know, what do you want that, that you're not getting? We'll get it for you. You want a bridge in your, in your state and you want it named after you? Done. You want your kid appointed to, a, to uh, some council someplace? We can make that happen. Find out what they want and give it to them. But I'm guessing that he's already exhausted those things. Well, I don't think that the same things would work for for Manchin as with for the cinema. So we have to find out what it is for him. I agree, but I think if if anybody would know what it is for those two, it w- it should be Chuck Schumer and maybe Joe Biden. And uh, but I don't know. I, your your point is well taken, Chanel. Thank you very much for the call. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So the Supreme Court, or six right-wing crackpots on the Supreme Court, three of whom should not even be there, frankly, were it not for, in my opinion, fraud. But nonetheless, the six right-wing crackpots on the Supreme Court said that the Occupational Safety, Health and Safety Administration, OSHA, does not have the power to require companies to provide virus-free workplaces. Let that sink in for a minute. We created OSHA back in the day. It was back, I believe it was in the 70s. It kind of came on the back end of Ralph Nader's, you know, not just Ralph Nader's efforts, but, you know, the whole consumer and worker movement. We, in any case, we created OSHA in order to have, in order to make workplaces safe, right? It's the Occupational Health and Safety Administration. And the argument that has historically been made for OSHA having the authority to regulate workplaces is that they're looking out for the health and safety and lives, literally the lives of working people, because in a capitalist system, if you don't impose some regulation on employers, there are always going to be some employers who will just, you know, to make a buck, let their workers die. I mean, case in point, You've got the, the, this meat plat packing plant 
where the managers in the meatpacking plant, this is back in 2020 during the pandemic when there was no vaccine, and they could have spaced people out and they could have slowed the lines down, but they chose not to. They, they jammed their workers in together and they, and they had the line going really, really fast for these meat, meat packers, the guys, you know, stripping the meat off the bones and stuff. And the managers were, were running a pool, a betting pool on how many people would die of COVID and by, by what point in time. I mean, just let that sink in. Right, this actually happened. It's well documented. They've admitted it. That COVID is a workplace danger. That workplaces that don't offer any protection against COVID, in fact, on, on the contrary, workplaces that force people into high COVID situations without appropriate protection, are killing people. Now, how is that not part of the overall province of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration? Well, according to six right-wing crackpots on the U.S. Supreme Court, it's not. They said, and I, and I quote, Although Congress has indisputably given OSHA the power to regulate occupational dangers, it has not given that agency the power to regulate public health more broadly. Say what? What they're saying here is that because of because of the fact that roughly a hundred million of us work, I, I don't recall the actual number for the total workforce in the United States. I, I have 117 million stuck in my head, but it may you know it's in that neighborhood because you know, 100, roughly 100 million of us work, that therefore, what, that's such a large number that that's the broad general public? And therefore OSHA shouldn't protect people because there's so many of us? It, it literally makes no sense. As Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Alina Kagan pointed out in their dissent when they said, and I quote, in the face of a still raging pandemic, the idiots on this court, excuse me, they didn't say the idiots, this court tells the agency charged with protecting worker safety that it may not do so. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, now there wasn't one exception. The rest of that sentence is that it may not do so in all the workplaces needed. They did allow the vaccine mandate for hospital workers to stand. Well, <laughs> duh. But, you know, what, what, what is really going on here, this, this is the president of the American Medical Association, uh, Gerald Harmon, said, and I quote, in the face of a continually evolving COVID-19 pandemic that poses a serious danger to the health of our nation, the Supreme Court halted one of the most effective tools in the fight against further transmission and death from this aggressive virus. Right, so the scientists, the doctors in America are saying, this court is nuts. But here's what's going on, and it's important that we all understand this. This decision does not exist in a vacuum. The ideology that Leonard Leo and his buddies at the Federalist Society and the right-wing billionaires who fund all this kind of stuff, the ideology that they put on the court that is reflected in the worldviews of Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas and Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh 
and in particular, Neil Gorsuch. The ideology of these guys is that government should not have a role in protecting people, that government, that that's overreach, that that's something, that's socialism somehow, that capitalism should solve all problems. As Stephen Moore said to me on this program about 10 years ago, when I said, would you rather have a capitalist society or a democratic society if you had a choice between the two? Which is more important, capitalism or democracy? And he said, capitalism, absolutely. Which is exactly what China has now. Right? They have capitalism on steroids, no democracy. That's Stephen Moore's idea of a paradise. That's you know, Stephen Moore, the chief economic advisor to Donald Trump. So the guy, these people in the Supreme Court are now following this libertarian ideology that it is not, that the Constitution, the founders and framers, or for that matter, just even today, that common sense dictates that the government should not protect workers. That's the job of the so-called free market. Although when workers try to organize together, companies can organize together, right? They can form trade associations. They do it all the time. You know, the, the Chamber of Commerce. But when workers band together to protect their own interests, so those are called unions, we've got to do everything we can to stop that. But this is this, they, they call it a, 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 a deregulatory uh, ideology or whatever you want to call this. This is what's going on. Make no mistake about it. And this is just the first of what will be a series of Supreme Court decisions over the next few years where the ability of government to protect people from predatory capitalists, essentially, from predatory employers, from predatory bankers, from predatory corporations that want to sell you crap products, from monopolies that want to exploit you. I mean, the fact that we pay two to five times more for cell phone service in the United States than any other developed country in the world. The, the fact that we pay you know, three to five times more for our internet service than pretty much any other developed country. Why? Because we have allowed monopolies in this country. There's over 100 country companies that will sell you internet service in France. You get internet service and cell phone service both for $27 a month in France. How much are you paying for your internet service here in the United States? How much are you paying for your phone service, your cell phone? And that's just, the, you know, and, and by the way, in France for that 27 bucks, you also get cable TV thrown in. And, and they want to keep it this way. They like this. This is like, you know, hey, this is, this is how it's supposed to be, they would say. Okay, so I, I just wanted to make that point and flag that for you. Also, I got a geeky science for you here. This is just incredible. Um, we had cats in North America, we being the continent, uh, before there were humans. And through much, of, uh, through, uh, through much of the time before there were humans, for over 12 million years, according to fossilized remains, there were cats that inhabited North America from Florida to New Mexico, uh, all the way up uh, into Canada. And then around 23 million years ago, again, long before humans came along, 23 million years ago, all the cats disappeared. And I'm not talking about just the saber-toothed tigers. There were, there were cats that were like the progenitors, the, the ancestors of, of uh, uh, you know, bobcats and, and uh, leopards and just all kinds of, you know, big cats and, and small cats, too. But for six and a half million years, there were no cats on this continent, and nobody knows why. There's all these theories. Why did the cats all die off? 
One theory is that there was uh, all kinds of volcanic activity uh, across Colorado, Utah, Nevada, and down into Mexico, dozens of volcanic eruptions. This was around uh, 25 million years ago. The uh, ancient tectonic plate, the Farallon plate, was spreading under North America. That led to the eruption of the Rocky Mountains. That's one theory. Uh, but that's been pretty much debunked. The second theory is that there was a period of rapid global climate change, rapid cooling of the climate that led to the last ice age. Um, that is more widely accepted, but that probably wouldn't have accounted for all of them across the entire continent being wiped out. I'm wondering if there might have been a cat virus. Now, this is not in the, in the scientific article that I'm reading. This is uh, by Chelsea White over at uh, NewScientist.com, titled, Why Cat-Like Creatures Vanished from North America for Six Million Years. But I wonder if, you know, there was like cat COVID and it just killed all the kitties. Um, I mean, anything's possible, right? Um, but uh, so anyhow, that's, that's your uh, geeky science for the day. And, our, uh, and, and my update on what happened with the Supreme Court, and frankly, why. And I think the why part of what happened with the Supreme Court is being largely ignored by our media. And I think that's much to our detriment. We need to be explaining why these six conservatives are ruling the way they are. We need to know what's coming and what the Republican Party wants to bring us more of. Dan in Marble, Colorado. Hey, Dan, what's on your mind today? I maybe have a, you know, a proposed fix to the filibuster problem. Now, if they revert to the talking filibuster, that sort of ends the endless filibuster. They eventually come to a vote, correct? In the talking filibuster, yeah, one of two things happens. Either they back off and kill the bill, or the number of people who have to be in the chamber drops below the threshold and the filibuster cracks or is defeated. Yes, uh, essentially. Okay. So either that or getting rid of it completely for, you know how they have the president's first hundred days in office. Right. Well, maybe not a hundred days, maybe six months, maybe a year's too long, but basically get rid of the filibuster. So the president who was just elected actually gets to push forth his proposals and then after a year, six months, whatever, cut it off, go back to the obstructionist filibuster so the president can't, quote, unquote, and this is looking at it from both sides, get way out of hand. And uh, then if you give him a chance to get his things through by the first midterm, people are going to know whether they like it or not and actually give a president, whether he's a Republican or a Democrat, a chance to do what it is they told the people they want to do, which we know in the case of the Republicans is uh, nothing. Yeah. Uh, I get what you're saying, Dan, and there, you know, there is the, uh, some discussion about, quote, reforming the filibuster. Uh, Joe Manchin has even said he's okay with uh, reforming it, uh, going back to something like a talking filibuster. But, the, but uh, in my opinion, it, it has been, I mean, the filibuster was used up until the 60s pretty much exclusively to block civil rights legislation. And that's the main reason it lasted as long as it did. It was because, you know, everybody in Congress was white and they were operating on a wink and a nod. And, you know, hey, it's just being used to stop civil rights legislation. Starting in the 90s, 
Republicans started using the filibuster to block things that Bill Clinton wanted, and now it has become a tool not just to, to block civil rights legislation, but to block everything. In the decade of the 1950s, 55% of all legislation that passed the House also passed the Senate. Today, it's 2%. I mean, in, in which the, is the reason, which is the reason why I'm saying maybe have a a uh, grace period where the president just, just end the damn filibuster, Dan. What's that? Just end the damn filibuster. Let I mean, back in the '50s, most well, of the well, legislation well, well, I, that didn't I, make it I through agree, didn't perhaps, get filibustered; it just got would, voted down. Perhaps this would be a way, though, to uh, give people a taste of what it's like for government to work again, and then there won't be so much action against changing it because they'd actually see a period of time where something would get through. Well, uh, you know, th those of us old enough to remember, <laughs> I mean, there was a time when a lot got through. It is certainly not tragically the case now, but I just see the filibuster as a relic. It's undemocratic. It's not in the Constitution. It, uh, and by undemocratic, I mean it, it doesn't comport with the rules of democracy. Uh, but, but keep thinking, Dan, you're on a good one here. Thank you very much for the call. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And on the line with me, our old buddy Dean Obadala, host of the Dean Obadala Show, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Sirius XM Progress, uh, Channel 127. A columnist with the Daily Beast, contributor to the New Republic, deanofradio.com is his website. Dean Obadala is the uh, Twitter handle and also at SXM Progress. Dean, I, the other day I heard, I think you say your name and it sounded different than the way I've been saying it. Have I been mispronouncing your name? You know, I'm not a stickler for how people pronounce it because people have spun it so many different ways from, I say Obadala. I was just on my friend, Obidala. Captain Rashid's show. Okay. Obadala. I was on my other friend's show. He's Muslim. He's a uh, South Asian background. And he says, Obaidullah. So Pakistani Americans, Indian Americans who are Muslim, Obaidullah, Obidala, or growing up in Jersey, I was Obladi Obada, or Dean owes me a dollar. So any of those are completely acceptable, okay. pretty easygoing. 
If you screw up my first name, it's intentional. It's Dean. It couldn't be easier. My yeah. last name, it's a challenge. I get it. Yeah, no, it's all good. And uh, sorry for that. I probably should have tried to no, hop on, fine. you know, before we got on the air and have that conversation with you. Anyway, you wrote a, an absolutely brilliant piece over at NewRepublic.com titled, Biden is shedding the support of his base, and that could be bad for democracy. Lay out your premise. Sure. And, you know, I now periodically write for the New Republic, in addition to CNN and MS, because my friend Michael Tomaski was at the Beast, went over to the New Republic. And my point is, it's not like some of these articles, like Biden's doomed and nothing's working. It's more like, here's what I'm hearing from listeners to my show. It was all based on listeners plus polling, explaining why has Joe Biden been dropping among Democrats? Because that's the concerning thing for an off-year election. It's getting us out. And I wrote this with an eye to, there's plenty of time to change it. There's about 294 days to election day. There's time to change it. Well, people should know, we all see the top lines. President Biden's approval rating has dropped from the mid-50s to, to like, lower 40s. But among Democrats, it's actually more acute. He's dropped from his, his time as late as June. He had a 95% approval among Democrats per Gallup. 95%. Latest polls, 74% approval among Democrats. He's lost more 20 points among Democrats than he has in the general public. Well, and, and, and so I put it out to listeners to talk about it. And that's sort of what the article came out. Well, and, and, and the, the crisis here is that midterm elections, which this year is, it's not a presidential election year. Midterm elections tend to be base elections. You, you see a substantial drop off in voting. Um, and mostly it's, you know, the candidates who win are the candidates who have succeeded in energizing their bases. Um, and if the Democratic base is becoming disenchanted with, with Biden uh, or with the Biden administration or, or more generally with what Democrats have been able to accomplish uh, in the face of this um, uh, insane obstruction by Cinema mm -hmm. and Manchin, uh, it doesn't bode well for the 2022 election. Uh, that, that's my, my big concern around this, exactly. Dean. And that, that's exactly mine. And I'm sure everyone who listens to your show, we get that. We're all adults. We've been around for a while. We understand midterms elections, you need your base to come out, or you need to get enough people who hate the president, whoever that president is, to come out. So 2018, we had a big wave of people, of Democrats, and those who hated Trump came out. We captured the House. Right. So I was curious, what has caused this drop-off? And I put it up to listeners several times over a few weeks, and the same two issues came back over and over again for why they're not going to vote Republican. They're just losing enthusiasm for Biden. And it wasn't built back better. It had to do with two things. One, holding Donald Trump accountable for the January 6th terrorist attack and the coup. And two is voting rights and not right. making that a focus for the entire year, or at least for the last six months of the year, to GOP passing laws. And those are the two issues I heard over and over again. The only other one I heard once in a while was canceling student loan debt. Mm -hmm. But the other two by far were the animators that we need President Biden to talk about holding Donald Trump or holding all accountable. He doesn't want to say Trump in more than one speech, and then Merrick Garland's got to step up. And if he doesn't, then Biden has to consider a new AG. That's something I heard over and over from people. People might be listening and disagree. I'm sharing what I heard from people. The other thing, which is equally as important, voting rights. The fierce urgency of now is missing in terms of voting rights. And look where we are now. That had been building for the last six months. Maybe we're not at the place where we are in Manchin and Cinema think they can get away with this easily. Yeah. It's not over. There's still time. But those are the two big issues. I think that what happened, uh, and I'd, I'd love to get your take on this, Dean. You're, you're an astute observer of politics and what's going on. Um, it, but it seems to me like what happened was when the Biden administration got rolling in January, 
uh, a they were presented with a crisis I mean you know we had we had a pandemic people were dying at insane rates uh, Trump had done nothing but make it worse for for a whole year and so the first priority was economic uh, you know put the country back together right. and get the shots in people's arms economic and, and public health and they did a spectacular job of that <laughs> we're a year down the road now and people are not feeling that pressure in fact uh, there was a um, there was a study, and I'm, uh, I'm brain farting here on where it came from. It might have been the Fed. It was <coughs> one of one of these uh, agencies saying that um, people's bank accounts, the balance in your bank accounts of the average person, the median bank account in America, has more money in it now than it did before the pandemic. Uh, substantially more, like 30, 40, 50 percent more. I mean, substantially more. Uh, now, the, wow. you know, most people don't have that much in the bank anyway. Uh, about half of America can't deal with a thousand dollar, you know, uh, expense that is unplanned. So, obviously, we're not talking on an individual level huge amounts of money. But, but you know, we uh, Biden succeeded in in getting money into people's yeah. into people's accounts, which is why the economy has heated up, which is why we have inflation, in part. I mean, you know, is is that demand is back, right? The economy is back, yeah. and yet we're in the middle of this this uh, this horrible thing. Um, and so they put that at the front of the burner. They, they, they said, okay, first thing, shots in arms, bring the economy back. And then we will, that will make us sufficiently popular. And they were hugely popular, as you point out in June, you know, uh, that will make us sufficiently popular that we can then push through voting rights. And I think the miscalculation was, well, Maybe it's not even a miscalculation. I mean, how do you get around the fact that Mansion and Cinema have been saying literally since last year, you know, for for since the election, mm -hmm. have been saying no, we're not going to go along with changes to the filibuster. We are down with the right wing billionaires and their network. Uh, you know, we're we're, we're just, you're not going to get what you want. How do you deal with that? Yeah, and let's let's be honest. When President Biden came in, the focus was COVID, and it should have been COVID. We had three thousand plus people dying a day. We had places closed down all over. Unemployment was, in Trump's last full month in August, 6.7%. It's now down to 3.9%. That's because of Biden's policies. He had to pass the COVID relief bill. But then after that, it became infrastructure and build back better. And not except for one speech in July on voting rights, there was not, as MLK talked about, the fierce urgency of now in regards to this issue, which was voting rights. So, look, this is, you've got to put pressure on Manchin and Cinema. There's got to be consequences. I think they have to start talking about the consequences out loud. They're going to support primary opponents. Because if you're going to choose preserving the filibuster over preserving our democracy, you're not a Democrat. Right. I, there's no other red line I have. Well, you're not a, even a patriot. Say, I mean, you're not even a, a, you're, a genuine you're, you're American. Not, you're, right, you're on the side. In this case, you're not just complicit. You're knowingly enabling the GOP to destroy and undermine our democracy and usher in, at this point, a fascist movement. And that's what right. we're seeing because they embrace violence. So you, it's beyond complicit. You are enabling, and they're doing it intentionally. And if, so if they leave the party or they get – if President Biden has to make a choice between the Democratic constituency that elected him or keeping Manchin and Cinema happy, he better pick the Democratic base. Even that means you don't get judges through for a while because you might get some Republicans to join on that, but they're not going to pass legislation anyway. So there was a the strategic miscalculation here, Dean. Forgive the interruption, but, you know, basically, right. you know, instead of rolling out Build Back Better next, they should have been rolling out voting rights next. But it might well have ended up in the exact same place because of Mansion sure. and Cinema, And, in fact, I think almost certainly would have because the, the, the billionaires who are funding Mansion 
or cinema and the fossil fuel industry that is fun, funding Mansion and that he's part of um, don't you know really don't want voting rights because their tax cuts and deregulations depend on Republicans staying in control, and that's the bottom line. So exactly, oh, you know, if you're you know, I was. Uh, just a little bit ago on uh, the uh, Chuck Todd or Andrea Mitchell show, whatever, I was. I, I noticed the Chiron on MSNBC was the White House plots to reboot Biden presidency. Well, plots is pretty evil language to use, you know, uh, definitely right. a pejorative. But, but, I mean, how would how sh how how do you change? How do you reboot your presidency when you're being sabotaged by people in your own party? This, it, it, you know, yes, we can argue about the order in which Biden should have been presenting things. And, and, you know, but, hey, you know, why, yeah, they may well have been thinking, hey, if we do voting rights and we lose, which we will because of Mansion and Cinema, then Build Back Better and Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill are dead. We're not even going to get to that. That's kind of the end of the presidency. Um, it's you know, like a coach in a football game. You, you make choices, and then you're held accountable for your choices, right or for wrong. I'm telling you from what I listen, from my listeners, and I was talking to Joe Madison. I had him on last week. Hear the same thing from people he talks to on his show and in real life mm. who have said they're going to sit out in 2022. They're openly saying that now, people on our base. They're never going to vote Republican. They see the risk. I'm hopeful between now and November 8th we can make the case that, look, our democracy, everything we believe in is on the line. Let's win. Let's win a few more Senate seats like in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania so we can marginalize the voices of cinema and management. We hold on to the rest of the seats and then change things. But, look, that's what they're saying. That's what they want to hear. And holding Trump accountable, don't dismiss that, Tom. People want to see a guy who waged a terrorist attack, people who engage in seditious conspiracies from the 11 charges now. They did that for one reason, as the charging documents say, because Donald Trump called them to the Capitol with his tweets and his lies. It is right in the charging documents that they cite Donald Trump's tweets from mid-December of 2020 saying it's going to be wild. I go, Trump wants us there. It's going to be a while. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's literally in their own text and encrypted communication that the FBI has put in the charging documents. Yep. Donald Trump, you cannot wage your coup and go play golf. That's not the penalty. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you, Dean. And I saw two stories last week suggesting in credible media, let's call it, that Merrick Garland and the DOJ are not even looking at Trump. I, I saw mean, that. If that's, if that's the case, I, I, am, I am shocked. And I think that politically that's poison. For the Democrats. I, I really yeah. Okay. It's well, Dean. Yeah. Thanks so much for dropping by. Dina Obidala, the Dean Obidala show on, uh, on Sirius XM a little later in the day, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Dean of Radio.com or Dean Obidala on Twitter or Sirius XM Progress. SSXM Progress. Dean, thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. Great talk. Great talking with you, too. Adam in New Orleans. Hey, Adam, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. So, of activities really has brought us to, you know, democracy at, at risk. I guess I'm not built to to think about a problem without at least trying to find a solution. Mm -hmm. And with Martin Luther King and, and Gandhi in perspective, I believe that a nationwide strike literally called by our president, coupled with a blitz in West, West Virginia and Arizona might Wouldn't that be like, you know, Cleavon Little? I mean, isn't that threatening to shoot yourself in the head? 
Well, I, how do you launch a nationwide strike against yourself? Well, no, where I'm going, and Gandhi did this, as I understand it, in India. He called that kind of nationwide strike. Oh, he did, but he, he was, was not the leader of India at the time. He was just a guy okay. with a spinning wheel who had, you know, a large platform, but he was not the elected leader. We need a way of somehow breaking out of the current trajectory. I and I can't, I can't think of a single way to do it besides this. I, the only way I can think of, Adam, is overwhelming electoral victories. We, we need to, uh, you know, there, there are all these structural barriers to yes. balance in the Senate, in the House, you know, from gerrymandering to two, two senators for every state. We just have to have an absolute progressive landslide, a, a wave election this year. We, and, and it's going to be tough. Adam, thank you. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Jeff Merkley still speaking? He is. You, let's just pick up a minute or two or a couple of minutes. This, this is kind of pro forma, but well, let me uh, summarize here he is. This is my senator from Oregon. Before I do so. There have traditionally been four ways that a debate on the floor comes to a conclusion. The first is a break in the debate. At that point, I was struck when I asked the experts, is the chair allowed to call the question? And I was told, not only can they call the question, they have the responsibility to call the question. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, because like, you know, it's devolved into wonk speak, you know, senators talking to senators about Senate rules, uh, you know, God bless them, but uh, anyhow, so picking up your phone calls, uh, Rudy in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey, Rudy, what's on your mind? Hey, big brother Tom. You know, I know this is a political show, but you know, the way I look at things, Tom, when one plus one does not equal two, then there's a problem. Yeah. And that's what these people are trying to do. That You know, Tom, I've always lived by, you know, you can't cheat, steal, and kill and think things are supposed to go forward. And that's what I see is happening. These people are cheating, they're stealing, and they're killing. And I have a problem with that. And for anyone that wants me to vote, Outside of that, there's no accountability. That doesn't add up. Yeah, well, that's that These was. Go, go ahead. You mean so? No, I mean no. I, I mean because I, you know, I listen to Dean Obadala. I, mm. I, I, I talk to him on occasion, and there has to be accountability. And there's a, a, a being a black man. You know, we understand the, the, the nuanced situations um, of racism and you know, equality. And things, they're just not adding up, Tom. Mm -hmm. Things, there has to be accountability. It has to be accountability. You can't raise a family if there's no accountability. It's no different in this country. Yeah. So is the bottom line of what you're saying, Rudy, uh, it sounds to me like really what you're saying is 
in 2022 if Biden or Merrick Garland don't start aggressively going after Donald Trump before that election, that the Democratic Party is in trouble. Is that the subtext to what you're saying? Well, basically, I mean, because here's the deal. I mean, if you were holding people accountable from the beginning, there would be no Donald Trump. Yeah. 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 So well, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, that's been a long time. You, you, have to, you have to hold people accountable for what they do. And for what they say, yeah, I'm and with for you. What these people are saying, Tom, I, if it was me, a black guy, <laughs> I'd be dust by now. Yeah, no, I I totally get so it. I, Rudy, so you, you got the whole folks accountable, Tom. Yeah, I'm with you, Rudy. Thank you very much. It's great to hear from you, Bill in Methuen, Massachusetts. Hey, Bill, thanks for listening to WCAP. What's up? Hey, Tom. Nice to talk to you. I've been a listener since Air America. Well, there was a a gap in there when I listen to something else. And I'm That's okay, to... Bill. What's on your mind today? I'm wondering if we might have a golden parachute that, you know, all the chicanery votes come in and it's time to ratify them like they did with Trump. If, if Kamala Harris can do for us what Mike Pence didn't do for Trump. Well, the Republicans, <laughs> the, the, right now, Republicans are championing, in fact, they had a guy on NPR this morning uh, talking about this, Republicans are championing fixing the Electoral Count Act so that Kamala Harris can't do that. And, uh, I, and my prediction is that they're going to pass a fix to the, and I've been saying this for two weeks, I wrote an op-ed about it a couple of weeks ago, actually, I've been saying it for a lot longer than two weeks, but, uh, you know, I wrote an op-ed about this two weeks ago that they're going to say the Electoral Count Act of, seven, of 1887, uh, which basically, uh, it, it, it's got some vague language in it, and under that law, arguably, this was the argument that John Eastman made in the Trump White House, arguably the vice president could say, okay, these, these six states have submitted dual slates of electors, which is exactly what happened. It was four states um, in 1876, but that's exactly what happened in the 1876 election. So these states have submitted dual slates of electors, so I'm not, and so therefore I'm not going to count any of those states. Therefore, we haven't hit the 270 electoral count vote threshold. Therefore, I'm going to throw the election to the House of Representatives. And the House of Representatives, of course, is controlled by Republicans. And so now they're coming out and saying, well, let's fix the Electoral Count Act. The Electoral Count is, Act isn't even going to be an issue until the next presidential election, you know, two and a half years from now, number one. Number two, it's extremely unlikely that the scenario we had before where you've got a, a president who, who actually lost an election is trying to illegitimately steal it. I, don't, I doubt we'll see that again, but it's, it's not inconceivable. But right now, we've got to deal with actual voting rights. And, and because of Mansion and Cinema, you know, they're going to try and save face by, by passing this Electoral Act reform and, uh, and get around what you're suggesting maybe, uh, you know, uh, uh, Vice President Harris should be doing. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to do that, and they're going to dust their hands off and say, mission accomplished. And it's not mission accomplished. Voting rights are not secure. And we've got to get this and get it done and get it done right. And if they can't do it today in the Senate, they got to figure out a way to do it, damn it. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Common Sense for the 21st Century by Roger Hallam. The subtitle, Only Nonviolent Rebellion Can Now Stop Climate Breakdown and Social Collapse. This is from the foreword. I was there for the past 20 years. Climate activism, 
it didn't work. We protested in our hundreds of millions. It didn't work. We raised billions to reach people and politicians. It didn't work. We signed countless online petitions. They didn't work. We looked to the United Nations to resolve the crisis. It didn't work. We trusted progressive politicians and their reforms. That didn't work. Al Gore had a big concert and a PR campaign. It didn't work. Countless NGOs, non-governmental organizations did their best and it didn't work. I worked with green NGO campaigns, champagne environmentalists, and lying politicians. I was wasting my time. I had a clue back in 2007 that there might be a fundamental flaw with the reformist approach. The problem with the political influence of the industrial billionaires like the Koch brothers and other fossil fuel bosses. It was another warm night in Los Angeles. I was invited to an exclusive event. A Tesla Roadster prototype was going to be shown to press and guests. We took turns riding around the block. I watched in amazement as the Tesla was at the end of the street in the blink of an eye with barely a sound. I felt like a caveman seeing a television. Incredible. While I was working on a campaign in 2007, I had an idea for how to save the world with a massive music event and a huge fundraising effort led by celebrities to fund the biggest PR campaign to save the environment. It would be a huge global event, just like Live Aid. I sought out a prominent journalist at the Tesla event to tell about my scheme and bask in the glory of his praise. The journalist was Vijay Vithaswaram from The Economist, now a life member of this Council on Foreign Relations. After listening carefully to my concept, he smiled and laughed. I was stunned. Laughter? How could I be so wrong? Vijay wasn't being cruel or unkind. He thought I was naive. He said, the fossil fuel industry has enough money to outspend any public relations campaign you might try by a hundred times. He carried on talking, but I had stopped listening. I had my answer. He was right. Crestfallen, I sheepishly nodded and walked away. Over the next 12 years, I watched as fossil fuel companies used their vast financial capital to buy political parties, trick NGOs into fruitless schemes like the U.S. Cap and Trade Initiative, sow doubt about climate science and the public discourse, and slow policy reform to a snail's pace. Their strategy worked. As climate skepticism continued to spread, climate change mitigation dropped down voters' priorities. With Trump and Putin in power, it was over. I quit climate campaigning. Then I heard about Extinction Rebellion closing five bridges in London. Then they closed central London in April 2019. This was something different. I met Roger Hallam and he explained his ideas for a radical plan to create real change. This included, first, tell the truth. Climate skepticism was pushed by the mainstream media, which spread doubt on climate science like a plague, leaving inaction in its wake. The scale of the crisis is being played down and we must get the truth out. Second, nonviolent civil disobedience. We need to get arrested, tens of thousands of us, more. No more protests, no more petitions. Instead, nonviolent civil disobedience, lots of it, and on a large scale. Close down cities until the politicians take action, or until the people do. Third, universalism. In other words, the ecological and climate crisis should not be owned by any political ideology, culture, age, or gender. As Roger Hallam says, 
We all have a stake in the future. We should all be allowed to gauge in action. I was convinced. We need a new approach to save ourselves and the planet. We need to spark a worldwide rebellion. We need some common sense for the 21st century. That foreword was written by, quote, anonymous climate activist. So this now is the introduction of the book. It is time to grow up and see the world as it is. There are some things which are undeniably real. There are some things we cannot change, and one of those is the law of physics. Ice melts when the temperature increases. Crops die in a drought. Trees burn in forest fires. Because these things are real, we can also be certain about what the future holds. We are now heading into a period of extreme ecological collapse. Whether or not this leads to the extinction of the human species largely depends on whether revolutionary changes happen within our societies within the next decade. This is not a matter of ideology, but of simple math and physics. The United Nations has estimated that we need to reduce carbon emissions by half within a decade to have a 50% chance of avoiding a global catastrophe. Of course, this is likely to be an underestimate, as recent science shows permafrost melting 90 years earlier than forecasted and Himalayan glaciers melting twice as fast as expected. The book, Common Sense for the 21st Century, by Roger Hallam, the co-founder of the Extinction Rebellion. The subtitle, Only Nonviolent Rebellion Can Now Stop Climate Breakdown and Social Collapse. Stewart in Chicago. Stewart, we're getting tight on time here. You got a quick one? Republicans are no different today than they were in 1960. I think the big difference is, is right-wing media has proliferated. Yes. And has just brought home the way to do that on a, on a very popular scale. Yeah, and that was facilitated in part by Reagan suspending the antitrust laws in 1983, by Clinton ending the, the ownership rules around media in 1996, and, uh, you know, and here we are. Uh, and, and not to mention, you know, massive funding by right-wing billionaires. Rupert Murdoch lost $100 million a year for five years before Fox News made a penny. I mean, you know, uh, Air America in, in its five or six or seven years of existence in total lost, se what, I think it was $17 million? as a pittance, right? And at that point, progressives and Democrats threw their hands up and said, ah, screw it. There's a real problem here. There's a real problem with our media, I'm telling you. And thank you, and, so, and therefore, let me thank you who are watching or listening to me right now for supporting this media and for supporting our advertisers and our stations and our venues. Thank you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.